Welcome back to this month's episode of How Did You Find It at the Gilderland Public Library. This month, we have a few quick news and updates for you. The construction is still on schedule, and actually soon, uh, everyone who works in the library is going to have to prepare to move to a new location. Some people will be moving into their new workspaces, and some people will be working, moving into new temporary workspaces while their permanent workspaces get renovated or constructed. The construction project is still on schedule. We are still doing curbside pickup. We still have tax forms, both federal and New York State, and we still have our print from anywhere function on our website. So you can print any forms or pages you need, uh, including tax forms that we don't have available to pick up in our Norman scale pickup room. The library has a new phone number, or we are back to using our old phone number. <laughs> we got a new phone system, so now, whether we are working from inside the building or outside the building, we can answer phone calls to our Gilderland Library building phone number. The phone number is 518-456-2400. We're going to have a conversation with Amy McCarthy, a children's librarian at the Gilderland Public Library and the children's representative on the Upper Hudson Library System's Anti-Racism Library Services Task Force. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Kathleen. <laughs> So tell us about the task force. Tell us about yourself, if you want. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes, I am a children's librarian at the library, and that is a lot of fun. I've also been on the anti-racism task force that was created in the fall of 2020. And... This task force, on this task force, our statement says that we champion libraries that reflect and equitably serve all people with a dedicated and evolving commitment to board membership policies, staffing, collections, services, and environments that actively and intentionally promote anti-racism. Well, that seems to fit with libraries in general, and it's good to have it sort of um, proactively put out there. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. So what we were going to talk today about was diversity in children's books. Oh, yes. Yeah, because one area of librarianship that intersects with anti-racism work is in our collection, the books that we have, the materials that we have on the shelves. And there was um, an article written in 1990 by Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop. She's a professor emerita at Ohio State University. And in 1990, she wrote an article entitled Mirrors, Windows, and Sliding Glass Doors. And this article articulated for us the way we look at our collection. The idea of a book can be a mirror for a reader. It can allow you to see yourself reflected in the book. A book could also, though, be a window and it can allow you to look into another world, um, a fantasy world, but also realistically, it allows you to look into another person's life experience, one that you couldn't live yourself. So think of a white reader reading a book that was written by a Black author, writing about Black experience. So that allows you a window into another person's lived experience. And then the idea of sliding glass doors, which allows you to step into another world. And think about why is this important? And when you think about 
how representation matters. That is so vital in all aspects of librarianship, but especially for children, the children that we serve. We want to be sure the materials we have on our shelves are uh, reflecting the children in our community. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we want as librarians, we want to help kids learn, you know, literacy skills, but also that their potential is however they want it to be, right? And if they don't see themselves reflected in stories about anything, then what kind of potential are they accessing, right? Yes, I agree. So when I was a kid, I remember sitting in front of the TV and watching the credits roll on TV shows, just desperate to see someone with my name. And I, I rarely, if ever did. And yeah. I remember thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking, oh, that's not a reality for me. And, and yeah. here I am, I'm not in TV. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe there's a direct link. <laughs> right. Well, it is interesting. Like, there's lots of examples of that. That that's a really good one. That I personally, I I can identify with that, but it never popped into my head specifically. In fact, I think there was a Kathleen on one of the shows that we used to watch, and so I actually did have, you know, there oh there was one. But there are so many times where you do you kind of like right. You look for someone with your name or someone like you, and there just isn't. And that mm -hmm. absence is sort of noted even if it's not actively noted right mm -hmm. it's like an absence that is sort of uh, hmm. yeah hmm. Hmm. yes so <laughs> we do we do feel it's important to have our collection and the materials that we hold to reflect the children in our community and one thing we will do when we're considering buying materials for our collection um we will we will look at or consider the demographics of the community in which we live. Librarians in, across the country do this. Librarians across the world do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so in looking at the U.S. Census material for the town of Gilderland, going back to 2019, so that's the one we have information for, um, we find that our community consists of about an 84% white population about a 4% Black population, 4% Hispanic or Latinx population, and about a 9% Asian population. So when we look at our materials on our shelves, we don't necessarily want them to be one for one. Like we don't want our collection to be 84% white, but we do want it to at least hit the minimal for those minority right. numbers. So we do things like, um, diversity audits of our collection. And luckily for children's, the children's section, there is an online tool that we can use and we can upload our collection with the help of Upper Hudson. We can upload our collection and they will, and this online site will give us a report back, giving us our percentages. And the, yeah, and then we can kind of adjust our purchasing <laughs> to make sure yeah. that we are um, getting good numbers. How detailed is that report? I mean, does it does it reflect characters? Does it reflect main characters and secondary characters? Is it authors? How do, what does it consider? We are in the process of doing this. Mm -hmm. 
And I will get back to you with okay. what, yeah. because I am just as curious as you yeah. are. From what I can tell, we'll get a percentage mm -hmm. of like books uh, with a main protagonist okay. that would fit yeah. under these categories. As you know, and as you've said to your listeners on the podcast already, that we are under construction. Yes. And so we are, <laughs> we are juggling both um our diversity audit plus the moving of the entire collection plus um the building of a library so there's a lot yes. of different things going on <laughs> luckily <laughs> luckily on the children's side we do have this online tool and that we're in the process of utilizing on the adult side there is no online tool that we know of if someone knows of one please let us know but uh, we have not found an online tool that will give us the same information for the adult side. So what we're doing through the anti-racism task force is we're creating in conjunction with Upper Hudson, we are creating um, tags that libraries can put on their materials that in the future we can run reports telling us about our diversity um, selections. Oh, so, great. So like in the catalog or somewhere on the books computer record it'll have information about its diversity yes we're using the terms uh the term bipoc um, capital b i p o c black indigenous people of color so we're using bipoc author bipoc illustrator bipoc publisher and bipoc experience and so these books will eventually have these tags on them and then the uh, adult services librarians will be able to run reports giving them a general idea as to how diverse their collections are that's oh, in that's the works great. and that's going to take yeah. a long time but um, yeah that's where we are headed interesting yeah now i am like i'm <laughs> now my brain is deep diving on books that reflect you know a whole community in the sense of like it, does this book reflect a community like Gilderland that might be mostly white, but also has, you know, black, Hispanic and Asian population. And then similarly, other com kinds of combinations. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, the catalog's never going to get that good. <laughs> right. <sighs> oh, yes, well. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, there are a lot of aspects to this yeah. topic. Yeah. yeah, I was listening to, um, I don't know, I was probably listening to some pop podcast and they were talking about television or movies and how the background population doesn't seem to reflect normal populations, right? And obviously if you watch old movies or old mm -hmm. TV shows, it's incredibly white unless it's not at all, but there's no right. diverse, between. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's really not many people's lived experience. Why? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So when we think about um, diversity in children's book publishing, that the publishers are getting up to speed. They're working hard to provide us with more diverse materials. So the Cooperative Children's Book Center, which is out of the School of Education at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, they put out a infographic every three years on the diversity in children's books. And in 2012, they put out that 93% of picture books that were being published were Caucasian, were white, 93%, leaving 3% books that were about Black children, 
1.5 about Hispanic or Latinx children, 2% about Asian Pacific Americans, and less than 1% about Native Americans. So that was in 2012. Okay. All right. In 2015, their look expanded to include the concept of animals and trucks. Oh, which is fair. Right, because publishing companies, um, books will often be use animals or trucks as stand-ins for children, and um, especially with books on about thorny issues like bullying. So what they found in 2015 is that the number of books with white main characters dropped to 73.3%, but that's still overwhelmingly high. 12.5 were about animals and trucks. 7.6 were about uh, African, African-American Black children. 3.3 about Asian children, 2.4 Latinx and Hispanic, and 0.9% about American Indians and First Nation oh. children. And the most recent we have is in 2018, where now the number for white books drops to 50%, but animals and other jump to 27%. Okay. Yeah, and now we have, and as of 2018, we had 10% about Black children, 7% Asian, 5% Latinx. Hispanic and 1% finally hit 1% for American Indian First Nation. So when you think of these numbers and you think about trying to provide representation for all the children in your community, obviously we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, the books are coming and we are buying them and they're on our shelves. So, so we are enjoying and learning about tremendous number of new creators. Yes. Yeah. It is great. It's great. There's lots of new creators. It's yes, wonderful. <laughs> it is. It's really great. <laughs> um, so I have a question going back to our mirrors and windows. Mm -hmm. Do animals and trucks and other anthropomorphized things, do those allow those books to be mirrors for anyone who reads them? I mean, anyone can identify with a rabbit, right? I'm... Yes, if, okay. you, if you feel like you have a lot of energy and you like to run around a lot, yes, yes. I just and like trucks. to gnaw on things. Yes, you like to <laughs> really love carrots, yes. Um, okay, but that doesn't provide, by doing more anthropomorphized ant creatures, trucks, you get more mirrors, but you don't necessarily increase windows, right? So. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing other people's lives. I can just identify with rabbits now. So there's some good and some bad to there being more animals and trucks and that. Yes, versus putting real children and yeah. real faces on those children. And also seeing children in experiences that aren't what we have historically seen, let's say black children. And we need more books of joy and happiness yeah. and just right. normal lives being led. Right. First Nation kids doing modern First Nation kid things, not exactly. right. what not their lives them... were like 500 right. years ago. Right. <laughs> not always putting them in um, mm -hmm. historical context. Mm -hmm. But yes, children yeah. just living lives every day. Yeah. Right. So, yes, going back, <laughs> going back to uh, Dr. Sims Bishop, she... I wanted to read a quote oh, yeah. oh, from please. her article, and it's about the impact of white-centered narratives on white children. This is a quote from her article. Children from dominant social groups have always found their mirrors in books, but they too have suffered from the lack of availability of books about others. 
They need the books as windows into reality, not just on imaginary worlds. They need books that will help them understand the multicultural nature of the world they live in and their place as a member of just one group, as well as their connections to all other humans. In this country where racism is still one of the major unresolved social problems, books may be one of the few places where children who are socially isolated and insulated from the larger world may meet people unlike themselves. If they see only reflections of themselves, they will grow up with an exaggerated sense of their own importance and value in the world, a dangerous ethnocentrism, end quote. That's a good quote. I remember when uh, I was much younger, they talked about how girls could identify with boy male main characters, but boys had no facility to do that. Probably for the same reason, right? If every book is about a boy, girls will learn how to identify with a boy character. And boys never have to think about identifying with a girl character because there aren't any. Why would, how, how would they do that, right? Yep. And we see that, we see that in the children's section, boys, we know this, this is a known mm-hmm. thing. Boys will read books with boy main characters, mm-hmm. but um, not girl main characters. And that also comes from the parents and the caregivers who are coming in to pick out books. Mm -hmm. They will specifically say no to books with girl main characters. When you would think living in the world, 50% (laughs) of the population is female, 50% male. Like you would think you'd also want your boys to learn about the other 50% of the population. You know, I mean, that goes back to this idea of boys playing with dolls. Like you, well, don't you want, if your child grows up to become a parent, well, don't you want them to take care of a child? You, right. Yeah. That just seems like a yeah. no-brainer. Of course you do. Right. I mean, I used to play with Barbies and they were paratroopers and they would jump out of windows with parachutes on. Yes. Would it be okay if boys were playing with me when they were the Barbies were doing that or not? Right. I don't know. Right. I, I, have, three, <laughs> I have three brothers and we... Um, my Barbies, it was Barbies and GI Joes everywhere. Like, yep. yeah, played with them interchangeably. I did. Yeah, I won't speak for my brothers. I can't remember. If they did. <laughs> my brothers were much older than me, so they were probably past yeah. playing with any kind of dolls by then. <laughs> right. The time I would remember. <laughs> so it's important for children to be able to see themselves in books. Yes, and to see uh, lived experiences of other people, of people other than themselves. Right. And to learn about the wider world just generally, right? Right. Books offer us that. Yeah. We can't travel around the world right now, but we can in books. Right. Travel is expensive and difficult, (laughs) (laughs) but it's expensive for some, some families are not going to be able to do that. Right. And you might be in school with a child who, uh, whose family is from another country. Well, you could read a book about a child from that country. It might be, that would give you something to talk about, something to relate to the, your friend about. Sounds good to me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Have a good Thank rest you. of your day. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. <laughs> it's a new month. It's time for learning stuff with Christina. Woohoo. What are we learning this month, Christina? So this month, I wanted to talk about the library's language learning tool, Pronunciator. Ooh. And I wanted to touch on this because I think that we're all um, coming off of some snowstorms and winter blues and dreaming of one day when everyone is vaccinated and we can go on vacation again. So, you know, now is the time uh, for your vacation 
hopefully later this year to start learning a new language. So you can go to the, the Riviera and you can speak the native tongue and ask for what you need. Now is the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to start practicing now if I hope to understand anything when I get there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, with hopes of travel to foreign lands, how does Pronunciator work? How do we get there? You're going to go through our website, gilderlinlibrary.org, and you're going to visit the Learning Tools page, which is what we call our databases page. You can find that under Research and Learn and Learning Tools. And then Pronunciator is accessed under All or under Language Learning and Citizenship, which we'll get to in a minute. I'll talk about the citizenship part in a minute. And once you get into Pronunciator, you need your library card to sign up and you have over 150 languages to choose from that you'd like to learn. Wow, that's a lot of languages. Is a lot of languages. The other thing that's cool about Pronunciator is that it works in both directions. So as long as you speak one of those 150 languages, you can learn a new language. So you can take the course as a native speaker in French, but learn Spanish, or um, as a native speaker in um, Hindi and learn French. So I did, I personally did it English to French because I wanted to brush up on my high school French. <laughs> what did you take in high school, Kathleen? I also took French in high school. Well, Ooh. senior year I took Spanish, but I wouldn't, I'm mostly French, yes. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I was, I was telling Kathleen that the great thing is that you can do a daily course or you can do a longer, more in-depth course when you pick your language. And so when I was doing French, I started the main, the sort of what they call the main course, and it was going over different fruits and vegetables. And the cool thing is that it tells you how the thing is said, and then you get to use your computer microphone to try to pronounce it yourself. So I was doing great with lemon, and I was doing great with apple, and then we got to banana, and it was just not working for me. It was like fail fail this is not how you say banana in french <laughs> well i guess if you go to uh, the french riviera you can't have any bananas <laughs> no, sorry not i no. <laughs> stick to the lemons and the apples we have no bananas <laughs> <laughs> so the first time i log into pronunciator what's going to happen you're going to click on pronunciator from our website and it's going to shoot you over to a login screen at the top you'll know you're in the right place because it's going to say Gilderland Public Library. And you'll need your library card handy to log in. Um, here you can pick whether you want to do instant access or if you want to register. And the difference being instant access will let you just take courses really quick without signing up and get some quick practice in. Register will actually keep track of your progress and your scores as you take different courses. And you can take as many as you want. So I personally registered. From then on, it lets you sign in with an email address. It calls it your um, student name, but it's just an email address. Excellent. Well, I noticed um, I was playing around with that a little bit and you can go in and it'll give you like stats. So is that like how much of a course you've taken? And do you know anything about the statistics? No. Okay. 
<laughs> I, I looked at it the first time I logged in, so obviously I had no stats, but I was like, oh, wow, it'll give you statistics. So, which if you need to gamify your learning, that would probably help, right? <laughs> yes, I suppose so. If you, if you need to be like, I did 100% of this course. <laughs> it's not giving me statistics when I go in. It's um, telling me my main course was French and I can resume. And it's telling me I started the pro-citizen U.S. citizenship course and I can resume, but it doesn't have my progress here. I do love that it has so many language choices, including, you know, it has Portuguese, Brazilian, Portuguese, Portugal, and I mean, English has Australian English and British English and Canadian English. It makes me want to say I'm American, but I want to learn Canadian English and just see what <laughs> the differences are. Is it just like accent? Am I just learning an accent? Uh, is it is it bad to joke like that the Canadian one adds a bunch of A's? <laughs> A, A yeah, that's probably bad. <laughs> um, but off of that, I like that you can pick. French, like European French, or you can pick Canadian French because it is different. Yes. And so mm -hmm. you can travel. I mean, we're in New York. You can travel right across one day. You can travel right across the border to Canada and um, you'll have some Canadian French too to get you yeah, by. I remember when we were in high school, you know, I was taking French and they were always, they would tell us that we were learning like France French or French of France. But Same. the Spanish courses, they said it was more South American Spanish. And I was like, that's interesting. Why Why is it that way? Right. In I New York State, maybe we should have done, uh, our, our <laughs> curriculum should have been Canadian French. Yeah. It's closer. Okay. So once you're using Pronunciator through our website, is there an app you can also use it, access it through? So there's no app that you can download from the App Store, but you can go to pronunciator.com and if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a button that says launch app and it's more like a web app. So you can um, go in there and you, if you log in with the account you've created, your basically your email address and password that you set up through our website, um, it'll pick up right where you left off. You'll see all the courses that you've started. So you can take it okay. on the go. Oh, wow. Nice. So it's sort of, it's still web-based but it's optimized for like a, a phone or something on the go yes yeah nice well you said pronunciator also has a citizenship course how does that work it does it's something that came with our pronunciator package but it's called pro citizen and you get to it the same way you get to pronunciator you'll go to our website our learning tools page, which is found under research and learn, and you'll click on language learning and citizenship. And so this time, if we choose pro citizen instead of pronunciator from that list, it shoots you over to a very similar looking website, um, same kind of logo as, as pronunciator. You can log in with the exact same account that you use for pronunciator. So you don't need to make one again if you already did so with your library card. Good. And then uh, you'll click on launch and it goes through everything you need to drill for the citizenship test in audio and video. That's great. You can also take Pro Citizen or Pronunciator. You can visit both websites in English and in Spanish. That's great. Kathleen, if you could yeah. use Pronunciator right now to prepare for travel, like where would you want to go? Wow, that's a great question. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around travel right now. No, I, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> 
I want to answer your question with a fun destination, but I'm kind of like, ooh, I I just want to, you know, travel around my area. Maybe I'd take a trip to Canada. Maybe I'd try to practice some French. I went to Canada on a international club trip in high school, and when someone tried to speak to me in French, I could not understand them at all. So <laughs> maybe I should pr- use Pronunciator and try to get back there and actually understand Mm-hmm. That's a good goal. It's a good goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Redeem myself. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Where are you going to go? What um, language are you going to learn to get there? So a couple of years ago, we went to Germany and that was really cool. And I do not speak German. And in fact, you know, my high school offered Spanish, French, German, and Italian as the classes you can take. And of course, everyone was like, German is not like any of those other things. (laughs) If you take, you know, one of the romance languages, you will not be able to understand German. So anyway, as we've established, having just my French background, we went to Germany and I could not speak a lick of anything. It was, uh, I mean, it was really kind to um, us as Americans. Like we, a lot of people in the city spoke English, which was great. But I would like to be able to speak a little German. Um, I would definitely go back. There are so many more things I want to see. And then this time I'd like to come back with some basic German under my belt. That seems like a great goal. I've One never day. been to Germany. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was great. It's really, <laughs> it was awesome. It's nice to just dream about traveling again. It's been so out of reach. I know. One day soon, you know, as more people get vaccinated and things mm-hmm. open up in New York and yeah. even just even just a, a favorite restaurant would be nice. Yes. Lately, I've been dreaming about going to a diner. Any what diner. Would you, what would you get at the diner? I don't know. Probably some pancakes and some eggs. Oh, yeah. That and, sounds good. Yeah. Do you have a favorite local spot? I like the Capital City Diner on Western by oh, the yeah. mall. Yeah. That one is pretty good. I like their breakfast burrito. I kind of like the Western Avenue Diner, too. Near the library? Yeah. I've been there a handful of times. It's a good (laughs) little place. I bet a lot of listeners have been there. (laughs) I have fond memories of stopping there, like, while moving, you know, because when you're moving, you just go someplace for a quick bite to eat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like we ended up there several times during several moves. (laughs) (laughs) the moving spot maybe i just Um, like diners diners are pretty great you can get anything at a diner just like you can learn any language in pronunciator Ooh, nice i like that tie in (laughs) well Um, on that note anything else we need to know about pronunciator and pro citizen just check them out today we're really happy with the uh, robust amount of languages you can do in pronunciator And we hope that you'll find it useful too. And what are we going to be learning next month? Next month, by the time this comes out, we'll have launched, I believe, we'll have launched something I'm really excited about. It's called Creative Bug. And it's going to be every sort of art and craft class online that you could possibly want all for free with your library card. When I was testing it out, I've been into learning how to paint. So I did like an acrylics course and it was taught by, um, it's all video, so you can take it at your leisure. It was taught by a professional and it was everything from like, you're just starting, this is what you're going to want to buy as a beginner um, from the store, you know, what kind of paint you need, what kind of things to think about, like, do I need uh, a canvas or paper? Do I need something to mix with my paint? And then they go right into basics and you can take, you can get as in-depth as you want. So there's just 
take that one concept for paint and there's like everything there's like knitting crochet crafts for your children so we'll we'll go more in depth next time but I'm really excited about this yeah it does look really cool and it'll be fun to talk about it some more maybe after we've actually got it we can try it out some more yeah maybe we'll do the whole thing in French or German we'll both learn (laughs) German and so next month's episode yeah we'll talk about creative bug in German (laughs) what a great plan or maybe let's just do it in English probably (laughs) tune in next month to find out well thank you for telling us all about pronunciator until next time Avida Sane or in French au revoir this month's New York Times best of 2020 book review is Uncanny Valley a memoir by Anna Wiener Anna Wiener left her position at a New York literary agency to chase the optimism and cash of Silicon Valley. What she found was what the New York Times described as the yawning gap between an industry's public idealism and its internal inequities. Memoir is well written, but if you remember feeling lost in your 20s or already distrusted tech optimism, you could probably skip this one. But if you enjoy a well-written memoir, it's a pretty good read. Thank you for joining us for our third episode of How Did You Find It at the Gilderland Public Library. If you uh, want to keep listening, please rate and review our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and subscribe or follow so that you always get updates when new episodes are out. Episodes have been dropping the third Friday of every month, and we plan to continue that. So rate, review, subscribe, follow, (laughs) and look out for the next episode, the third Friday of April. Thanks. Bye.